Well, Brian, I got a couple of issues with you. <laughs> Number one, wish y'all wouldn't have done such a good job. If y'all had maybe stunk it up a little bit, take a little bit of the pressure off, and my estimates, you're about 15 <laughs> minutes too soon. <laughs> no, I'm joking. You know, um, I what now? Oh, get out early. You know we can't do that. Oh, we all need to get that completely out of your minds. You know, we you know we we can never beat the Methodist to dinner. So and your dinner's provided. So you know you should be good to go. But uh, no, um, you know I didn't realize it, but um, the special song, um, "The Blood of Christ Speaks for Me," uh, is my theme this morning. Because as I laid down in bed last night thinking, you know what, I'm not feeling good that Lee's going to make it, you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't have a whole plethora of canned sermons that I can just, oh, I'll pull this one out, number 25A, you know, and I did that back in whenever, you know, I mean, it's like, and, and I, I can't, I, Bill asked me to preach Black Eyed Pea, I did a sermon years and years ago called Black Eyed Pea, it was a uh, first year, uh, first I guess it was the first message of the new year. Uh, Lee was gone, and uh, he keeps me wanting to do that, but I can't seem to do it. But you know, that's my prayer. You know, God, I don't have to, I don't have to do anything. I just gotta allow Your blood to speak for me, allow Your word to speak for me. Um, and so, um, let's pray and ask God just to do that. Father, thank you so much for the privilege to stand before Your people. And it's overwhelming to think that across this great world, there are tens or thousands or hundreds of thousands or millions of people standing before your gathered people to share your word. What an incredible privilege and honor it is. And Father, it is with that humble heart that I ask that you speak through me to your people, not because I deserve it, because I know I don't, but God, your people deserve and need to hear a word from you so may your words speak to us may they not hear things that i say or anyone else who's preaching today say but god may they hear your word and your spirit and may it move them and change them may we become more than palm sunday christians in christ's name we pray amen and so that's the theme palm sunday christianity and uh have you ever had a significant moment in your life you know, I've thought I've had several, you know, birth was a good one. D- don't really remember a whole lot about it, you know, um, but uh, graduation from high school was a significant moment in my life, you know, really realizing, you know, what am I going to do with my future? Uh, marriage was another one, you know, uh, when I um, when I came, we had a little gathering of some friends and um, Around, I walked into the room, was meeting everybody, and I caught the eyes of this little brown-eyed, brown-haired girl, um, and uh, that was a significant moment in my life. I mean, when I saw her, I was like, ooh, I want to talk to her, but, uh, and I've been blessed for over 30 years to be talking to her, and, 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 and so that is a significant moment in my life. Kids are another significant moment. If you're blessed with the opportunity to have children, they're a significant moment in your life. Seminary was another uh, big moment in my life when I felt the Lord calling me to vocationally uh, serve Him was a big moment. Moving to Georgia 
was uh, I, I didn't know that there was a Thomas School, Georgia. Georgia seemed so far away from Texas because, you know, everybody lived in Texas. And that's where the chosen people come from. No, I'm joking. No, I'm jo- hey, we are kindred spirits. Y'all just don't get, we don't get barbecue right in Georgia. You know, our barbecue is pork, but back home, our barbecue is beef, you know. So, um, but anyway, uh, hey, who won the Sugar Bowl this past year? <laughs> Sorry, I just had to throw that in there one more time. But it, every significant moment that you have in your life should change you, should lead you to maybe a decision that you need to make. When I saw that brown-eyed, brown-haired girl, and I said, man, I want to talk to her, I had some decisions to make. You know, I mean, she, I, you just wasn't a normal person that you could just come up and be silly Bobby and, and be able to spend time with her. That just wasn't how it worked. And so I had a decision to make when I was going to grow up. When you have kids, I, you know, that was a huge watershed moment in my life when I held my daughter, our first child, for the first time. And I talked to her, and she turned her head to me, and she knew who I was. It was a significant moment. Like, I had to make a decision. I needed to grow up in how I was going to live my life. You know, that's... I mean, that was when I first felt the Lord's conviction as he told me, Bobby, how can you show her how to live her life when you're living like hell? And I was. There was no doubt about it. I mean, if you could point people out. Now, some of us in this room, you could the way that you live, you could not know it. But for me, it was pretty obvious that I was living like a heathen. And, uh, and man, it was a huge moment. They all have a significant moments that lead us to make big decisions, to make life-changing decisions. Every, every single experience or encounter significant one that we have has led me to make a difference a decision or a difference in my life or it's changed me and I dare say this year that as I've been reading the Easter story that so often when we read God's word we don't read it as a significant experience or an encounter we don't perceive it as that we just read God's word but I, I believe that every time we read God's word and we encounter the living God, the living word that's active and present, able to, to define our motives and all that, penetrate even into the point of separating bone and marrow, that it should be a significant experience and it should make a difference in our lives. And we should, every time we come to the scriptures, be led to a decision, am I going to believe it? And I'm going to believe the God of it. And so I want to look at, at a little bit of the Easter story today before we take the Lord's Supper. So I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 21, and then Matthew 27. The scriptures will be on the screen. Uh, they'll be in the New Living Translation, so if you'd like to follow along there. Beginning in verse 1, As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem, they came to the town of Bethphage on the Mount of Olives. Jesus sent two of them on ahead. Go into the village over there, he said, and as soon as you enter it, you will see a donkey tied there with its colt beside it. Untie them and bring them to me, and if anyone asks you what you're doing, just say, the Lord needs them, and he will immediately let you take them. This took place to fulfill the prophecy that said, tell the people of Jerusalem, look, your king is coming to you. He is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. The two disciples did as Jesus commanded. They brought the donkey and the colt to him and threw their garments over the colt, and he sat on it. Most of the crowd spread their garments on the road ahead of him, and others cut branches from trees and spread them on the road. Jesus was the center of the procession, and the people around him were shouting, Praise God for the Son of David. Blessings on those who come in the name of the Lord. Praise God in the highest heaven. 
The entire city of Jerusalem was in an uproar as he entered. Who is this, they asked, and the crowds replied, It's Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. And so we can see at the beginning of the Easter story is Jesus is fulfilling. And it's interesting is everything that happened in the Easter story was exactly how God ordained it to happen. It all fulfilled prophecy. So when they when he was before the council and they were jeering him and beating him and spitting on him and mistreating him, it all was not because of men having authority, but because God allowed that to happen. And so here they come in, and Jesus is, it's just as Jesus said, and he rides in on a donkey, and everyone is praising him. It's Palm Sunday. That's why we call it Palm Sunday. They were all praising him. Praise Jesus. Hosanna to the highest. Praise God. And it said the whole city was in an uproar. But then just a day or two later, look what happens in chapter 27 of Matthew. It says, now Jesus, was, verse 11, now Jesus was standing before Pilate, the Roman governor. Are you the king of the Jews? The governor asked him. Jesus replied, you have said it. But when the leading priests and the elders made the accusations against him, Jesus remained silent. Don't you hear all these charges they are bringing against you? Pilate demanded. But Jesus made no response to any of the charges, much to the governor's surprise. Now, it was the governor's custom each year during the Passover celebration to release one prisoner to the crowd, anyone they wanted. This year, there was a notorious prisoner, a man named Barabbas. And as the crowds gathered before Pilate's house that morning, he asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called the Messiah? He knew very well that the religious leaders had arrested Jesus out of envy. Just then, as Pilate was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent him this message. Leave that innocent man alone. I suffered through a terrible nightmare about him last night. Meanwhile, the leading priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas to be released and for Jesus to be put to death. So the governor asked again, which of these two do you want me to release to you? The crowd shouted back, Barabbas. Pilate responded, then what should I do with Jesus who is called the Messiah? And they shouted back, crucify him. Why, Pilate demanded, what crime has he committed? But the mob roared even louder, crucify him. Pilate saw that he was getting, wasn't getting anywhere and that a riot was developing, so he sent for a bowl of water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of this man's blood. The responsibility is yours. And all the people yelled back, we will <laughs> we are so silly people. We will take responsibility for his death, we and our children. So Pilate released Barabbas to them, and he ordered Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip, then turned him over to the Roman soldiers to be crucified. Isn't that incredible? Just a few days before, they were praising Jesus. The whole city was praising Jesus, was in an uproar. They hear this king of the Jews was coming to town, and then all of a sudden, it seems like they change and say, crucify him, crucify him, I want you to release a known felon a known criminal in his place. See, they had a decision to make at this significant moment in their lives. Were they going to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, or were they not? Which path would they choose? The people who worshipped Jesus a few days before were now demanding that he be killed. So what happened? What caused that to happen? I think about that a lot. I, here's a couple of things I think about. is I believe they wanted a Messiah who would free them from the Romans. They wanted a military savior, not an eternal savior. 
They wanted to tell God what he should do and what he should look like instead of following the real God. See, they weren't really following God, but instead they had invented a God who looked like them. So they chose to kill Jesus instead of following him. But you know, I believe today there are many Christians, many people who call themselves Christ followers, who in so many ways show such a lack of commitment as these people did. So before we judge them, you know, they're really not that much different from us today, are they? So how? How do we crucify Jesus? How do we are be Palm Sunday Christians one day and then not following him the next day? Well, when we worship Jesus at church, but it doesn't impact the way you live the rest of the week. And you know, I started thinking about that. I started thinking about, you know, all of y'all here, our awesome uh, life group leaders or Sunday school leaders that we have. I started thinking of all of the talent that we can see with the orchestra and the choir and all that. And, and we do such an incredible job on Sunday mornings worshiping Jesus. I mean, top notch. You know, a great time. And like Brian said, not for our glory, but all to the glory of God. And I just can't help but think, man, that shouldn't be making a difference. But why isn't it? Why are there more people outside the church? Each, and I, I would tend to think that there are other top-notch people giving their talents and energies to God in other churches across this community, wouldn't you? And so I'm thinking, well, why, why, aren't there, why are there more people? If that's going on, why are there more people outside of the church than people inside the church? Why are there more people? And, and they're all making a choice. You know, we were talking about they've got that little recycling thing going on, and one of it's going on today from 10 till 2 or something. I said, on Sunday? You know? But there's a whole other people out there that do not understand and don't have not bought into what it means to, be, to give their lives to Christ. And I'm thinking, so what, why? Why is there a big disconnect? And I can't help but think that maybe we do a really good job of worshiping Jesus on Sundays and Wednesdays, but we really become Palm Sunday Christians the rest of the week. And so we show a lack of commitment when we deny him with our words and actions Monday, Tuesday, maybe even Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. When we go throughout our day and we never really ever think about him. And I want to say, that could be, it's a sad to say, but that can be easy to do, can it? To really rock throughout a day and go, have you ever been driving? And next thing you know, you go, you know, I cognitively don't remember those last three stoplights. You know, and I think that we can be doing the same thing with our walk with the Lord. That we can go throughout the day and really not make him not make a difference in our lives. Or maybe when we don't do what he commands. And we can say, well, I do what he commands. I follow the Ten Commandments. Man, there's so many more than the Ten Commandments. Read Matthew 6, 7, and 8. That'll work you over. Because he says, hey, the, the commandments say this, but I tell you that you need to be leaving, living even more deeply and intimately with me. Or when we don't spend time with him and we don't follow him. See, when we do those things throughout the week, we might as well be saying, and in some ways we are saying what? Crucify him. Often for us, Jesus isn't who we want him to be. We want to follow a Jesus who will let us do what we want. Lord, bless, bless this, bless that. 
Lord, I feel like I want to do this. We bless that. We want to follow a Jesus who understands when we put other things before him. I'll always be able to go to church. There's always next Sunday. You know, we I've talked with several people who are like, yeah, I don't need I don't need the church to worship God. And I can't help but think, man, if you really love Jesus, why won't you love what he really loves? And that's the church. That's the coming together of a body of believers. Or we want to follow a Jesus who isn't demanding and who doesn't really care if we have little sins or something in our lives. See, we've created an image of Jesus in our minds that isn't really a biblical view of him. And when God doesn't line up with what we want him to be, we yell inside our hearts, crucify him. So we have to decide every time we read God's word and we encounter him, is he really who he says he is? Do we really believe in Jesus? Is he really worth following? Is he worth giving up our plans to follow him? Is he worth following him to the cross? You know, in Matthew 16, Jesus said to disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it, but if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. See, every time we encounter God in his word, we're invited to come and die, to come and sacrifice our life, to come and give all that we have for Jesus. See, he understands we don't need to say that, well, that can't be what he means, right? Does he really call us to come and die? Does he? Does he call you to come and die? Does he? Is he more concerned about what you want or about what he knows is best for you? See, does he say he understands that I have a life to live? He understands that I'm busy. He'll forgive me if I continue to sin. Well, if you believe that, then you've just picked up the first nail. And in your heart, you're saying, crucify him. See, too often, we are comfortable with being Palm Sunday Christians. We worship God at church, but our lives are denying him. Maybe it's time that as we encounter God in his word, let's be different. Let's let his word make a difference. And that's been my prayer. God, don't let me just read your word and go on and be the same person. Man, every time I read your word, God, may it change who I am. May it make me more like you. May it make it easier for me to deny myself and the desires that I want. May it help me realize that I am prone to sin and, falling and not following you, but I can turn right around to you. See, it's time to choose when we read God's word. Y'all, it's, it's Holy Week. We have a great opportunity to allow this experience of Easter to really change us. But it's only through the blood of Jesus. And so my question today is, is where are you? Are you content with being, maybe you're not a believer and you're content with that. The best place to start is realizing that, you know, not being a believer means spending eternity separated from him. And that's where you need to start is giving your life to Christ, asking him to forgive you of your sins, that awesome blood of Christ to pour over you, to cleanse you. That's the only thing that can make you acceptable to God. That's the only way that you'll be able to live this on this earth in relationship to him and to live forever with him in eternity.
Or maybe you catch yourself being a Palm Sunday Christian. And you're okay with getting your worship on on Sundays and Wednesdays, but getting your own life on the rest of the time. And you know, I think that's called lukewarm. And, and you know how God views that. He says, I want to spit you out of my mouth. You deny me before men, I'll deny you before my father. So as we ab- about to take the Lord's Supper, doing this in remembrance of the awesome gift that God gave us through his son, Jesus, let's take a moment, let's bow our heads, let's close our eyes, and let's ask the Lord to define for us where we really are. Brian comes and, and June comes to, to play. What better time to give your life to Christ than today? Today is the day of your salvation. Behold, the Lord stands at the door of your heart knocking, wanting to have a personal relationship with you. Oh, unbeliever, come today. Come give your life to Christ. Palm Sunday Christian, it's time for you to really allow the scriptures to change who you are. It's not okay to read God's word and it not change you. Spend the time to confess that before him. Ask him to be forgiven. It's called sin to forgive you and to give you a new heart for him. As we look towards the Lord's Supper, he tells us that we should not take the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. Is there unconfessed sin that you have in your heart that you need to get rid of? Wherever you are, whatever decision that you have laying before you, don't turn away from the Lord. Make the right decision and follow him in the next step of obedience. As Brian leads us, you make the decision that God places before your heart.